0: Um, at one company I work with, they had three different sets of getting started guides built by three different teams delivered on three different platforms. And so what does that lead to? Duplication of efforts, mm-hmm. things are out of date because who has time to update it, and frustrated customers because they don't know where to go for what.
1: Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education laboratory, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I am Dave Darrington, and I have with me, Donna Weber. Hi, Dave. Thanks for joining us today. I think we're gonna have a really great conversation, but before we start, I always like, well, we always like to talk about what the national day of And today is National Avocado Day, National Mutt Day, and I'm curious about uh, National Raspberry Cake Day.
0: That's very interesting. And which of those is your favorite?
1: I am a big fan of raspberries, although blackberries are in season here in uh, Washington State. But uh, hey, you know that they are a rich source of vitamin C, manganese, and dietary fiber. So what else than having a day for that?
0: Well, I'm going after the avocados. I love avocados, um, and uh, I just, I just love
1: them. I love avocados, too. So this is a, it's a, it's a big day. All the, all the fruits, and, and <laughs> National Mutt Day, of course. But we digress. So let's get into this. So today, we're going to talk, Donna, about, about customer education. But you and I had a talk months ago, and I think this is relevant, and it's going to continue to be relevant. We're going to focus in on customer success teams, those professionals that are out there, and specifically those of you who are, you know, gearing up trying to get into the education scene. Um, so, if you are a customer success leader, perk up, pay attention, listen in. Donna's going to educate you on some really cool strategies and techniques that she uses. And let's get into this. So, Donna, frame up for us what your and you tell us a little bit about your company in a bit, but tell us about your passion in this space.
0: Well, Dave, as you know, I am passionate about helping companies front load their relationships with their customers. And so then they can ensure that renewals are going to happen and that they do that with scalable onboarding and customer education programs.
1: Fabulous. So this is, this is super critical. It's super relevant. And Well, let's unpack this a little bit. So as always, what I like to do is take what you've said and let's frame this kind of scientifically. Again, we're big on data. You're big on data. You you have a lot of great statistics in your blog entries and such that that we'll share with our listeners uh, through some links later. The hypothesis we're going to test today is developing scalable education programs to onboard your customers results in more efficiency, higher adoption, and Higher renewal rates. So does this sound good?
0: Yeah, that sounds good. I would also maybe we could add uh, it can help you scale your customer success organization yeah. and teams as well.
1: That's super and critical for the people that are listening in. So let's unpack this. But before we do, Donna, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on uh, you, how you got here, your company, laid on us. We we want to we want to learn more.
0: Yeah, so I have been working in the customer education, customer enablement space for quite a while. I have launched customer education organizations and programs at at two startups. And um, I've been a long time member of the Customer Education Management Association, also called Mm -hmm. CEDMA. I'm also on the board as the marketing trustee. So I've been passionate about enabling customers for a long time. And I've been the one at companies where everyone's talking about like, oh, you know, we got to improve our sales, we got to improve our marketing, we got to improve our product. And I've been the one at the meetings raising my hand going, hello, what about our customers? You know, what about our customers? So that's always been my passion. Even in the world of customer success, I'm still going, what about the customer?
1: Well, it's all about our customer. And a customer can also mean different things. It could not just be an end user, it could be a partner, it could be an internal employee, but uh, this, is, this is super important. So tell us a little bit more. Again, SEDMA is a, is a great organization, and we'll have a link to that if you're interested. Uh, Nashville, right, this year for the yeah, conference?
0: Yeah, so November, mid, like, mid-November in Nashville, I will be speaking on the topic, There's Content Everywhere. So we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit. Um,
1: there is content everywhere. Cool. <laughs> so we'll send a link out to that. And if, if you don't know about it, that's, that's a great conference to join uh, but tell us more about your your company and the and the kind of yeah. consultancy that you <laughs> offer our community.
0: Yeah, thank you. Well, about three and a half years ago, I launched my own business. I went off on my own to do consulting, and I just am a voracious learner. I love learning. I love um, variety, and I felt and I love the build. That's that's where I like to hang out in, like going to startups, building. Yeah. Um, offerings and programs and teams, and then the maintaining was not so much my um, my joy spot. Didn't spark joy, and yeah. so um, I realized, hey, if I do consulting, I could get to stay in my joy spot of that 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 new exciting uh, beginning of, of building. Well, that
1: uh, I really liked. I, maybe this is why you and I and even Adam are very kindred spirits, uh, because it, you can go work in an organization that's. It's been there for a while and, you know, they have their educational team, but there's something really exciting about coming into an organization that's a startup that's new that doesn't have anything and from scratch, building that out of nowhere and helping people really learn the product, right?
0: Exactly. It's very exciting. And also taking, it may not be that there's nothing there, but really take helping organizations turn around, scale, you know, take, get to the next level.
1: Yeah. And you're right. There's, there's always something there, but let's dive in. Let's, let's pair this apart. Let's talk about point number one, which when we talked earlier and shared traded notes to your point about there's content and there's content everywhere, right? This is your subject for later. I'm not going to spoil that one, but recreating the wheel is something that I've encountered over and over again Tell me a little bit about that with context of you're a customer success org and training. We've got to get training and education out. Tell me a little bit more about how this all works. How do we avoid this constant loop of, oh, I'm going to start over and make my own new content when there's something already
0: there? Sure. So first of all, um, as I shared, I've been working with enabling customers long before anyone talks about customer success. And when folks did start talking, I've been very involved from the beginning. I, was a, I think uh, I've been to five Pulse conferences now. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, huh?
1: I said, you got me beat on there. I have three.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, um, uh, you know, I go to these conferences and I was just really perplexed. Like people were talking about the CSMs. They might talk about sales. They might talk about services. They mm-hmm. might talk about support. And they're like, well, "Why aren't people talking about customer education?" We've been out there on the front lines, in the trenches, building content and having that relationship with customers—not in the account management way, but in the really, you know, making sure that they are moving towards product adoption mm-hmm. for a long time. And and then, um, and, you know, so so I just want to step back a bit to w- what Springboard Solutions does. So we help B2B business-to-business software companies increase customer lifetime value through orchestrated onboarding and customer enablement programs. And the reason why I'm so passionate about what I do is because as customer success has become quite a an exciting, growing uh, industry, I, I I see over and over when I talk to companies the CSMs are often trying to figure all this out on their own like like no one's ever done it before they're they're trying to recreate the wheel um oftentimes each csm is single-handedly trying to train their accounts. so every csm is doing their own thing there's no consistency there's no repeatability um i see i've met with teams that like they've never created training and they're just somebody says go create training they don't know what they're doing um they're, they're, they're trying to create these high production videos, or uh, they're really busy defining the product and not focus on the users, and we'll dive more into some of these areas. But um, it just continues to surprise me that folks don't know about this scalable, repeatable, consistent approach that, that we have in customer education. And it's the awesome way to scale. I, I've written articles, Adam's written articles and given talks about it that, you know, we we say the secret to scaling customer success customer success is customer education. Customer education is the scale engine of customer success, and um, uh, it, in many ways, like customer education, with with the advent of customer success, in many ways, customer education has be, has kind of um, been um,
1: Got of leapfrog in. or pushed up into yeah.
0: Well, I would say like in many ways, with, with, as customer success has gotten really big, customer education has kind of drifted into the shadows a little bit, Yeah, We're just not quite as sexy and as um, you know the new hot thing as customer success. But on the other hand, I see that customer education is more vital than ever because these customer success teams are seeing that, oh, wow, we have to enable our customers. We have to educate them. The product adoption is key
2: hmm
1: Yeah, I think this was this is one of the single most important lessons that I think I learned when I came when I started working in customer education. And, and the biggest opportunity I had was at Gainsight. And that's when we met, we started talking. Mm-hmm. And even and and I don't want to throw anybody at Gainsight under the bus because this is not a singular company's problem. All the companies I've worked at. And more of them are asking about education now, which is the big difference. But most of them have done exactly what you said. You've got, let's say we've got Joe and Judy and Jim and Jane, and they're all CSMs. They're sitting on the bench and and their, their manager, uh, Rachel, comes up to them. She, she's not a J word. <laughs> think she, she comes up and says, hey, you know, well, well, I've heard about how education really helps. Can we do some webinars? Can we do some training? And then what I've seen is, even in a in a in an organization where I was doing training already, and other teams were doing training as well and education, the CSMs were still doing it on their own. Oh, right, uh, and I think that's a natural. This isn't a shame thing at all. This is a natural growth problem that we have. So, when in my perspective, what I've seen is, folks say, "Well, oh, I've got to learn teach somebody about it," and they feel so motivated and so compelled to help their customers because that's kind of what the the DNA of a CSM is, that they just go that extra step and they do it. Now, that's a problem to me because to your point, they're recreating the wheel and they don't have the pattern of the wheel sometime. They don't know what color it should be. I mean, these are things that we as educators have picked up and learned and we want to desperately share,
2: right?
0: Correct. I also think part of the challenge is that CSMs are kind of, you know, we're in the early stages. CSMs are like everything's being thrown at the CSM. And so they are trying to do it all. And then that's part of the challenge. They can't be as successful as they need to be. They need to stay in that strategic trusted advisor role and not trying to do everything. And (laughs) their role could be better as tour guides pointing to the training resources that maybe another team develops or even yeah. another CSM develops, rather than trying to do that all. Um, earlier this week, I did an, a, a webinar about ongoing onboarding. And nice. the, another challenge when CSMs are individually training every customer, what happens when there's user turnover? So yeah. not only do they have their, their set of new accounts they need to onboard. And maybe train. Now they have, you know, new users at existing accounts, and they're, they're just they're just going to be spiraling in trouble if they don't find a, a scalable, consistent, repeatable way.
1: And a process to support that too. Yeah. Like what for for me, one of the things that I thought. So I, I think to your point, I love this term. I think we should really elevate the term ongoing onboarding, because when you think of onboarding at least I have thought, Oh, I have a new account. They got onboarded. We're done. No, you've got churn internally. Somebody quit. Somebody got hired. You've got a new technical administrator. A hundred. For for example, I'll just use a case at outreach. We are managing or working with companies that are massive in scale. I won't name any of them, but you'll know them. Um, But we're talking thousands of seats and people using all this stuff. And with the roles that we educate, the, the sales development rep in particular, that's a high-churn position. So yeah. we can expect this. I, my, my dream, and I've done this at other places, is, hey, you have a system where we have contacts or prospects or all the information about who's going to be using our software. In fact, we know that who has the licenses. We have a table somewhere. Wouldn't it be great to, hey, once a seat has been created to initiate an automated onboarding play?
2: Uh-huh.
1: And then that doesn't obviate the need for additional um, you know, live training or virtual instructor-led training, group training, all that jazz. But goodness, you're going to have this stuff in your inbox helping you out a little bit. And you get that whenever you start, not whenever the company onboards.
0: Right. And then also, um, there's an article that, uh, from LinkedIn that, that indicates in, in the high-tech world that we're in, user turnover can be about 13%. I would say it's probably up to 20% or more for our sales reps. And so if you have a hundred users, you know, that means you're going to have 13 new, new ones this year. If, when you include reorgs and changes of roles, you know, I would say you're, you've got 13 to 25 new, new users this year. How are you going to get each of those users onboarded and trained?
1: Yeah, that's hard. It's really hard. And I mean, there's plays plays for that, and we're going to talk more about them. But I do have one question before we move into the next topic. What, Donna, do you think the big hang up is with is this an an educating issue? We have to get this out to everybody in customer success and say, hey, education is really important, and this is why. Uh, what what are we missing here? Why don't we have more onboarding and and work towards stopping recreating the wheel.
0: Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, maybe one is such a fast-moving space; it's so new and exciting mm. and fast-moving, and folks are not looking to leverage what else exists. There yeah. might be that. Um, is there a perception of customer education? You know that we need to um, update our image uh, that we're not being valued. Yeah so you know so there might be components
1: from both sides could what, be what are your thoughts? uh yeah i think both of those are viable um I, I one of the things that i've experienced in working in startups over and over is education is kind of the last thing that they that anybody thinks about and i recall i was talking with through a friend of mine who's a vc person and he helps new companies get going of course we had a really great discussion about well our CEOs and senior leadership aware of education. And he said, well, surprisingly, not really. Hmm. They're so worried about getting, okay, let's get the product and engineer going. What's the, well, how do I sell this? Who's my market? You know, CEO uh, probably doesn't typically be mindful of, I look at education as a product, education as part of the product. In fact, it should be developed, developed alongside of it. If you do that, then it's kind of natural. But, uh, you know, we move fast in SaaS, we try to get stuff out, we try to close deals. And then all of a sudden, we have this tech debt, we have the educational debt. I think it's just something that naturally happens. And I think it's part of awareness. But that's just my take.
0: Yeah, I think um, I, I think that's fair enough. I know that VCs are asking companies more and more, you know, early stage startups, what's your customer success plan? Mm-hmm. And they're not asking what's your customer education plan? What could you know for customer educational professionals? An area to focus on is helping companies understand the impact that you have. So oftentimes, customer education professionals, like customer success, they know that they are here to drive renewals and retention of sales, cross sales. Right. They know. They know that they're talking words like you know lifetime value, um, net retention
1: time to first value, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. And uh, customer education professionals often don't use those words. And we need to um, really address uh, the impact on the bottom line. So if we're talking that language and demonstrating that to our, to the, to the um, management teams, and they'll start to value more um, it, it, that uh, customer education professionals tend to, you know, stay comfortable in silos of building content and delivering content and, Get excited to share evaluation scores, but at the end of a quarter, <laughs> the CEO doesn't care about evaluation scores. Um, so, so part of it is talking the language that your company talks about, yeah. Um, and I and uh, it may be that, for example, at my the last company I worked at, it was all about ARR annual recurring revenue.
2: Mm-hmm. So I was
0: like, okay, I have to start talking ARR, you know. So, what does that mean? Well, one, I was able to demonstrate that well-trained customers had a 20% higher renewal rate. And yep. companies I work with find that trained customers have anywhere from, I've even heard up to 80 and 150% higher renewal rates. Companies Goodness. That aren't but when the tax rates are low, what's the impact you're having? So really driving higher uh, training usage mm-hmm. to have a, a greater impact. And then also I created a product, a subscription product, so that I was adding revenue to that ARR bucket, and that made a big difference.
1: And that's measurable, directly measurable. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, That that kind of stuff, that's gold. And that's that's that cognitive shift that I think we have to start having is, I have a lot of dialogues about revenue. When you first start out, I'm not so worried about getting a lot of revenue. I'm worried about getting the content built because I don't have it. But once you start doing that, then you start thinking about, yeah, I can affect the bottom line. And I mean, we could beat this to death, but I feel there's a bridge in here because you started talking about renewals and we're talking about onboarding. Onboarding is an adoption play, getting everybody to use it. Tell me more about, so you have a quote here. I, I think this is pretty sticky. So why don't you say it for appropriate impact?
0: Which, oh, oh, which one that customers adopt quickly? Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, well, this year's Pulse Conference um, I was attending a session delivered by Mark Rawls of Vista Equity Partners. He's in the, the consulting group. And it made me jump out of my chair almost. Sad. He says, when customers adopt quickly, they renew forever. <laughs> and so it's just really important that you know we're not taking our time to get customers onboarded, enabled, using the product. That front-loading of the relationship is what's going to drive the renewal.
1: why is that though? What what is specific to that in your experience that makes it so sticky?
0: Well, there's a few uh, few things, and I was talking with Ed Powers, who's a customer success leader in the Denver area. I was in Denver earlier this year, and we chatted there, and also um, um, had a follow up meeting about he. So he's really into understanding the neuroscience. Of relationships with customers, so that's got that's got me really intrigued about the neuroscience of that's onboarding. It
1: uh, is intriguing.
0: Yeah. So uh, Ed was sharing things about first impressions. So, oh. for example, uh, and let's just even kind of dial back a little bit about that. There's the whole buyer's remorse thing. So, depending on your product, you know, uh, the the buyer's reputation might be online. Mm-hmm. They might have spent a lot of time research analysis to select your product. And then, you know, the deal closes, and then what happens? Oftentimes, there's a big gap before anyone really engages you. That's the time when you're most excited to, like, you you know, you've been talking with the sales rep, and you're really excited to be, have that impact that you, that's been sold to you. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, nothing happens. And um, so what ha- what happens, because the, the companies are not jumping in to really um, hold, you know, um, like have a prescriptive way to engage customers right away, the customers are left with all of this kind of dead air, dead space, and they start ruminating. <laughs> and what happens, what happens, and this is all according to Ed, so this is not for me. And um, what happens when you start ruminating? Well, you start creating stories and you uh-huh. start often creating, um, you know, these worst case scenarios. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when I buy things, I'm a big researcher. So. Oh, totally. If I've done all my research, let's say I'm getting a new car or even a new pair of shoes. (laughs) You know, I've (laughs) done my research, I've read the reviews, I've talked to everybody I know, and then I buy the thing, and there's that kind of anticipation of what it's going to like solve or resolve for me. Yeah. And then buyer's remorse can quickly set in.
1: Yeah, and well, isn't it like this? You know, I've had a strange relationship with software all my life, and I think it's because I had a you know, I remember having a VIC-20, I'm, aging, I'm dating myself big time right now, but when I was a kid, I had the Atari I had the VIC-20. When I had my VIC-20 and my Commodore 64, software was more of a thing because you could download stuff. Well, not so much download, there was no, what, 300 baud internet, good Lord. But there was more of a, a an assortment of things that you can load and play with and break and try. And I think what drew me into computer education and ultimately customer education is that I had that, like you, inquisitive mind, like, what happens when I do this? What happens when I do this? But one of the biggest things that's always been frustrating, and this particularly happens now, just, j- just for more context, I was a university professor teaching game design and web development and such. One of the hardest things ever that I saw with students is you have a tool. So let's I'll, I'll pull out Game Maker. Game Maker is a pretty inexpensive game creation tool. That's not quite open source, but it's cheap enough that anybody has access to it. And but when you get into it and you start on you know where do I go? What how do I learn this? When I first started playing with this, there was nothing. There was some docs online, uh, and then it was about well, gosh, I don't I, I bounced I bounced off of it immediately because it was hard. There was no learning path. There was no start here, Dave, and do this thing. And so then what I had to do as a course of a university course is, okay, I'm going to break this down. I'm going to give people discrete things to do. We're going to have fun with it. You know, and you're breaking that up in a logical pathways, but it's very hard because you're unlike other fields where if you were a teacher, you have a textbook on mathematics on English, right? You know how to do that here. We have nothing. We're starting from scratch or we're pulling materials from people's heads. Um, but when I get the product, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm excited about it. And I'm stoked. I'm getting other people excited about it. And I want to continue using it.
0: Yes. And, and so with uh, B2B software, we talk a lot about the first 90 days mm-hmm. with uh, a mobile device app. Mm-hmm. It could be 30 seconds, you know, it could be 90 seconds that you really need to get those users onboarded and enabled.
1: That's so there is a big spread. then. so if it's a platform or, yeah, you know, like Outrage, for example, is a platform and it's uh, it's an enablement platform, engagement platform. It has all of these things it can do. But if you have a mobile app and you say, OK, I want it to show me the weather. <laughs> I have to turn it on, do a couple things, configure, and I'm good to go. And it's going to stay on my phone forever. If I struggled with that, I'm out.
0: Exactly. And 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 so back to the neuroscience. A couple other points there is that first impressions count. I mean, we know that there's parts of our brain that are logical and parts that are not as logical. Mm. And those first impressions, we start making decisions immediately about this product, about this company, about the vendor, whatever. And then what we do until we're really, you know, fed, if we're not being fed really prescriptive guidance, we will look to validate our first impressions. So Uh let's say I meet you, Dave, and I think you're an awesome guy. Then whatever you do or say until you really prove otherwise, I'm going to just assume that that's validating how awesome you are. But (laughs) if I don't like you, then I'm going to just start everything that, that, you know, our interactions, I'm going to start looking for ways to validate my negative person questions. So that's why we have to, you know, not just customer education, but the whole customer-facing teams need to create, I I call it the orchestrated onboarding framework to create this customer experience immediately to embrace the customer and guide them along to reach their desired business goals and outcomes right away.
1: That's great. So you have, you help guide your customers and others into, Hey, this is the best way that you could shepherd people through the experience. So like you were going through the gates at a sporting event or at Disney, or, you, you know, you want people to, you set expectations, you get them excited yeah. and, and this is a repeatable process for everybody. So there's no ambiguity. You have data to support it and it makes sense.
0: Yeah. And also um, uh you know, oftentimes all the customer-facing teams are all like doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's time to get out of the silos. Customer education, we're used to doing our own thing. It's not all about just creating the, the courseware anymore. It's not about owning that anymore. We need to be working in a harmonious way with other customer-facing teams. Absolutely. McKinsey has an article, which I highly recommend, called From Touchpoints to Journeys. And it says that even though you might get a high score on your class or on a support call, when customers are not getting that orchestrated experience, that yeah. orchestrated journey, then their uh, companies are finding their customer satisfaction is lower. They don't want, yeah. customers don't want touch points anymore. They want the journey defined and they want to be guided along the journey.
1: Yeah. We all want that. It's, It's a little bit of a hand-holding, but now that we have the tools and the automation and and the on-demand content, it makes it so much easier to take somebody through and to the point where they say, oh, no, I'm done. I'm out. I've got it. And they come back and get help as they go through their journey. Mm -hmm. But it's a a partnership. Exactly. Well, with that in mind, how about you now uh, share your wisdom of the... We've talked about the what and the why, you know, all the but what's the problem and what do we, how are we thinking about it? What are your recommended ways, scalable ways that you would encourage our audience here to engage with onboarding or onboarding their customers?
0: Sure. So um, let me see, I'm just looking at the notes here. So um, I love your ad hoc address. So um, maybe we'll come, we'll come to that in a moment.
2: Uh, (laughs)
0: So, Adam's, uh
1: Adam's word. Oh, uh, I love
0: that. Ad hoc address. Um, okay, so that's a little aside. Maybe we keep that in or not. Okay, so I'm just going to start talking about the ways that customer education can scale user adoption.
2: Cool. Do it. Okay,
0: so, so <laughs> one, customer education is a one-to-many model. So while customer success starts as one-to-one or a one-to-few approach, Mm-hmm. Customer education is designed to be a one-to-many approach, and so you have instructional designers or course developers repeat uh, creating repeatable content. They mm-hmm. give that to instructors. You have this consistent, repeatable content that is delivered to many um, customers. And if you have self-paced, then that increases exponentially. Yeah. So there's a one. It's, it is built to be a one-to-many model.
1: Okay. okay. So. Oh, Let me ask you about that then. Sorry to interrupt, but that that's fundamentally different because going back to some of the previous points, and, and I'm just peppering in some highlights that I've seen, you're going back to recreating the wheel. If I were a CSM and I go, oh my gosh, I need training. So you cobble together a deck or you steal it from somebody else and add to it. And that's not scalable. That's not repeatable. It's not consistent. So you're saying now, and that's not one to many. And what I see a lot of the times is in onboarding teams and CSM, CS teams, folks are doing this one-to-ones, one-to-ones, one-to-ones. And one of the things that came up in a previous podcast was how some customer success managers feel like that's a value they provide. And they're very reluctant. But this, it's such a different paradigm shift. Don't train the one, train the many, but then come back with that one person after they've gone through the training and spend yeah. time with them and coach them. And your, your job is not necessarily be the teacher because you can optimize your time.
0: Well, well, as I said before, CSMs need to be strategic advisors, not instructors. Um, so when if you, if you don't have a, a customer education team or a team of instructional designers, then there's often time that one CSM who loves to create the content and so, so have that dedicated resource on the CSM team, but, but having them that have them create the content for the rest of the team to deliver. So there's consistency and repeatability there.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. A con, they could still be a C in a CS role, but they're a content expert.
0: Yes, and then again, you might have the, the users take some more of these generic classes, but then the CSM might follow up to make sure. That the customer knows how to apply it to their unique use cases in their business. Yeah, and then that way they're staying strategic.
1: That's and that is really good, and that's a really good partnership. So as you start having, and I've actually have a member of my team, one of my my first instructional designer, she came from being a customer success manager, and it's been really helpful because Uh she's established those relationships, and now we're bridging over into a new team, but we have that. We have that mindshare, and folks are starting to say, "Oh, I'm going to give all this to Vanessa, and we're going to develop content for it." So
0: oh, that's great. Yeah, good. So then next is um, so next is repeatable content, which we've covered, and then role based. So, um, and I know Adam um, would agree with me here that he he wrote an article said customers don't care about your product, and um, so too often the training that I see customer success teams create is like, hey Dave, let me show you how to log in. I'm going to give you an overview of the product, um, but uh, you know, an overview isn't telling me how to do my job better. So, cus- people learn best when it has content that's, uh, you know, the with them, what's in it for me. So uh-huh. it needs to be about, you know, your role, your job, and not just about the product. It needs to be about the use case scenarios that your users are, are, are using. And uh, specific to the different roles.
1: Right. So that's, so again, frame uh, adding more to that is I, uh, so I'll talk from outreach. I have a role that's a sales development rep, right? So um, a hunter. They're, they're very focused on doing certain steps to book a meeting and sell some software. So they're focused on certain things and they're, and we want to encourage certain behaviors and outcomes and that focus allows us to have kind of a different context of training for that role as opposed to other stuff. So we're very speciating, very much speciating our educational product to those kinds of people,
2: right?
0: Absolutely. And when you modularize it, you might have similar content, you know, or even some of the same content. So if I'm a, let's um, just say, I'm an administrator versus a business analyst. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be some getting-starting content that's the same, and, and you can repurpose it for the different roles. But when I log in, I see oh, business analyst—that's me. I'm gonna, um, uh, I'm gonna take the training, and I know it's about me.
1: Yeah, and that's where a lot of the good LMS systems that we have out there allow for that kind of a sharing. Mm-hmm. I Actually, I, I I don't know if you recall the intent behind wikis. So a wiki, you know, media wiki is a good one. Uh, Wikipedia, oh, we all know that. But one of the intents behind that was modular curation of content where you can literally plug in little tiny pieces of content that are relevant to other things and reuse them. And the way that I like to focus on education is make those repeatable modules that could be applied. For example, I might have three roles that are very similar. Module one is the same across the board. It's an intro module. Module two might apply to role one, but not role two. And you can cater learning pathways to each one of these kinds of things. So it's interesting. Yeah,
0: exactly. So role-based and learning pathways. And so we don't want our, our users drinking from a fire hose. Part of that prescriptive journey is to give them what they need when they need it.
1: Yeah, and that even that even has a sidebar for me in thinking sometimes you know we're worried about just in time training by and large, but often you might have a workshop or a class and I know at enterprise that we'll go on site and we'll deliver training. But what I also like to do is give people access. Everybody has access to university. Everybody has the learning pathways. Across the board, even if they've set in on a training class, and now they can go through that. If that helps, them and we didn't solve their problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great approach.
1: Well, tell me more about so after role based and you know outcomes based type training, you've got you know one to one many model. So we're changing it for for and generalizing it. And there's an there's an objection to that sometimes because I have heard. Oh, my customer is different. Oh, they have this different kind of thing. That's, uh, that's something you, you tend to have to deal with. But when we do get beyond that objection to the repeatable content and then get role-based trainings, you know, cheesed out, the next one is your point about hands-on. What right. is in hands-on? So, how do you do that? What's important about it?
0: Well, uh, again, when a CSM is saying, hey, Dave, let me show you how to log in. I'm going to give you an tr- overview of the product. That's great, but there's no retention. Mm -hmm. Uh, The learning pyramid shows that when there's a demo, user retention is around 30%. But when users have the hands-on experience, like in a lab, in a class, then retention goes up to about 75%. So if I don't remember something, then I'm going to keep asking the same thing of my CSM Mm -hmm. and the support agent. So it's gonna be very expensive to the company when users, they have that, that walkthrough, they have that overview, but they're not really retaining it. They're going to keep reaching out and using your expensive resources.
1: Yeah. That's using, using our CSM as training and using your support team as training is not efficient. Right. And, and that's not a problem to the customer. And it's not scalable. It's not. And,
0: scalable. And, you know, and then, you know, as you were saying, some companies, you know, you're just saying about the repeatable, some mm-hmm. companies might be like, well, You know, every customer is unique. Well, great. Then create these really white gloves, high-touch, really customized offerings, and then charge a lot for them. You know, those are premium packages. And make sure you're covering your costs so that you can be investing into building great offerings and maybe even bringing in some extra revenue so you can build your team.
1: Okay. I'm going to echo that back, Donna, because that's super important. Customization is your enemy in customer ed. But if you are going to do it and the request is there, charge for it.
0: Yeah, if, they, if that's what customers want. And yeah. and I just want to say another thing, like, you know, you really need to listen to your customers. I as something I'm very passionate about. <laughs> uh, one company I work with, they're like, okay, we need training. So they built out all this self-paced stuff. And then they brought me in to, to help them out. And I interviewed customers and we found that customers who received instructor-led training, hands-on instructor-led training, their use of the product and their perception of the product was so much higher. They, they were like heroes in the organization for what they yeah. could do using this product. And those who'd had it, they were seen as like, what's wrong with you? Why, why can't you figure anything out? So um, so it's not always we need, you know, a lot, of, a lot of teams think, oh, self-paced training. Let's put some videos together. You really need to know your product, your audience, what they want and need. It's not always, um, you know, it's not always that you need you know, this hands-on instructor-led, it's not always that you need self-paced. You really need to know what they want and need.
1: That's that's a huge point, and I think that's something for us in customer ed, because we, we talk, going back to Adam's quotes that you said before, customer ed is, is the scale engine for customer success, and when you start looking at that in strict literal sense, you know, oh, I should do everything on demand. I should do all one-to-many classes. But to your point, and I've experienced this in, the, in a number of cases, particularly more recently, there is merit behind it. So, for example, my audience here at Outreach are people that are seller. I mean, they are salespeople. Do they want to sit in training? No.
0: And for them, a, tra- a training my module might be 90 seconds.
1: It might be very 90 second. Or the flip side is a lot of these same companies go, We value our seller's time. We're having an offsite. Come to our offsite. Let's do the training then. And those trainings are, we had one last week and my trainer came back super joyful. She was so thrilled because the team that she was there had sent pictures and like, We loved you. We loved the training. Aww. Excited about this now. And when we saw it and you were there to help us out, it was amazing. So those kind of experiences are, are heartwarming. Yeah. And, really, and they're really useful, but remember that, and I'm, I'm talking to the general audience, remember to, to be judicious in your use of that. If you're going to do that, that needs to be a paid option. It can't, yeah,
0: and it can know. still be repeatable. You can still have somebody create a foundation course that then certain components are customized or tailored for each uh, customer. You don't have to recreate their wheel every time.
1: Totally. So what's next?
0: All right, so then um, let's talk about the content is everywhere or the ad hoc <laughs> um, So in this era where everyone's an author, you know, the thing is everyone can write something, they can video something, they can publish it. Mm-hmm. So we're in an everyone's an author era. There's content everywhere. Um, at one company I work with, they had three different sets of getting started guides built by three different teams delivered on three different platforms. And so what does that lead to? Duplication of efforts, mm-hmm. things are out of date because who has time to update it, and frustrated customers because they don't know where to go for what. <laughs> so um, these days, because it's not like customer education is the only, you know, we're the only ones who have the ability to create content anymore, I <laughs> recommend creating a content council. And in that spirit of moving from touch points to journeys, you know, gather everyone who's creating customer-facing content. That might be product marketing team. It might be marketing. It might be CSMS, might be customer education. It might be support, writing knowledge articles. And start to determine, you know, what? do an asset inventory. Hey, what's out there? What are the formats?
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: then start determining how you're going to divide and conquer. It, it, it's like we just do not have the time to duplicate efforts anymore. Yeah. No product release cycles are you know faster than ever and going faster um and you know i I like to use what i call the cheap and cheerful approach i call it the tarjay for target (laughs) target you can also call it the agile and iterative approach but i like
1: tarjay that sounds so (laughs) impeccably cool I i
0: might go there tonight but um but, uh, you know, the thing is, customers would rather have current content that helps them do their job than a fancy high production course that's out of date and very generic.
1: Oh, my so. goodness. Can I tell you a story? Please. So not too long ago, I was, I was looking at some material and I, I've, I say to people exactly what you say. Look, customers are going to forgive you a lot. They're going to give you an incredible amount of grace. If it does, if the content is a little rougher on the edges, but I can hear the audio and I can see the slides, if you have a deck, good enough, fine. It doesn't have to be masterful. Um, but then I saw at, at this one place, I saw a bunch of videos that looked like marketing videos. You have a talking head or a talking body, a green screen, you know, high production value. It looked immaculate, but there was absolutely no content in it. <laughs> There was no content. I didn't learn a darn thing, and I go, "What was that? What did I just watch?" It just it looked pretty, but I think and and there's a couple nuances that I've seen in this. That number one, I'd say, hey, if you're developing content, don't worry, don't overthink it. Don't 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 worry about jazzing it up too much. Get the str- get the sound piece of content out there that makes sense.
0: Well, that that has an impact.
1: It has incredible amount of impact because I've seen teams that have spent weeks, a months. Developing content in a very waterfall type. Okay, we got to do this. Okay, got, got that done. Okay, review it. Now we got to go do this. Okay, great. No, let's get it all, dump it out. Have everybody look at it and get it in the hands of the customer as fast as you can. And yeah. you can iterate again and make it super awesome. But when you're trying to move super fast for the first time and you're getting this stuff pouring out of people's minds and hearts, just get it on paper. Or like I, saw, I like to say, put it in paper or pixels. Get it written down.
0: Yeah. And so there's some key points here that you need to know your audience. Mm-hmm. So if your audience is a bunch of developers, they, d- they don't want high production value. No. For sales reps, they might want a little higher production value or marketing users. So you got to know your audience. Mm-hmm. And then in the spirit of agile and iterative, rather than trying to create a whole catalog, start with one course, one user type, uh-huh. and, um, and then review it, you know, uh, with your customers you might do some beta testing and see what they like and see what impact it has and then start building.
1: That's, that's sage advice. And w- one thing I'd even say is that uh, I- I- even in knowing your audience, there's degrees there where I would say, okay, if I do know I'm going to be going with marketing people and they're going to be critical, if I have no content at all, I'm still not going to worry too much about production value at yeah. first. At and
0: least then, for version one, yeah. For, for, sure.
1: for V1 or call it V.1 or call it beta. Actually, I like to slap beta on so many things at first because that gives you a little bit of extra added grace. It's not that I won't get there, but you know, the call out to folks who've dumped into a customer education role and they're trying to do this, get the content first. Then keep thinking Agile, you're going to make it awesome.
0: And start showing the impact you have and when you can demonstrate your impact on the bottom line, then you get start getting resources to, to make it fancy.
1: Yeah, and that's perfect. That's where we want to be.
0: And so then when you start learning what everyone else is doing, then you can start to curate content. And again, back in the old days, uh, you know, folks used to, it had to be training, and training was this, and it was, but now you've curated. I, I've taken Coursera courses where, mm-hmm. you know, part of it is to watch a video by the instructor, then I go read this wiki page, and then I go to this website, and then I read a PDF, and <laughs> I go, you know. So, again, with, when you have a learning management system, you can create a course of many modules. It doesn't matter what the format is. Yeah, you weave all this content together. Doesn't matter who created it or where it lives. Customers don't care. They just want to get what they need when they need it.
1: Yeah, and uh, curation is even more complicated. You know, I had an idea more recently that we're implementing here with this my my third team. That as a part of curation, one of the things that I've struggled with is when you're moving so fast, content drops everywhere. Ideally, it's going to be in your LMS if you have one. Sometimes you don't. Um, and I would also say, look, first pass curation has a couple different flavors to it. One is if you have your an LMS or a similar system where you can put the content and have people go through it, that is curation. You're going to have the latest and greatest, and it's all up there. But I'd also say you should probably should maintain a library utilizing technology like Google Drive, Box, SharePoint. I don't care what it is, and make sure. And I've made this mistake personally make sure to share content and shared drives first. Mm -hmm. If somebody, an individual on your team, for example, and you have three instructional designers and one of them drops off and well, yeah, you might get that folder, but the idea is to have a collection and this goes outside your team. This goes to everybody. Here is our, all the videos, here are all the scripts, here's all the assets we use to create it. It's kind of like your development library. And then someone could come along and let's say Judy from the CS team is going to give a, a, some kind of a training at an event or something weird, and it's not the training team. All that stuff's there, and they could just reuse it anywhere.
0: Right? Yeah. Well, I've worked with teams where we had content management system, and so everything's yeah. there. and Version control, and you check things in and out. Um, so that's been a way. That's a way you can approach it as well.
1: Yeah, I've even used Git and GitHub for. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, I, we use GitHub pretty effectively for maintaining our training content. And then what mm-hmm. we we used a, a tool called what camera Hugo Hugo integrated with GitHub and it was really cool because our customer we basically could give you any customer a white labeled uh, version of all of our content it wasn't an LMS but it was a really cool way to curate content and have it updated because they can make a sync script and all of their content could be white labeled put in their branding and it's all there it was really super neat
0: very cool
1: all right. Well, I feel like we're wrapping up here. We're kind of at the end of our time and you've already talked about the cheap and cheerful, but you have any other comments on that? in as far as your scalable process.
0: Well, uh, when you are curating, you need, so let's say you say, Oh, great. We'll use this knowledge article. Well, you know, you might have somebody who is the, you know, that, that might be their title. That might be their part-time role or uh-huh. full-time role to have a curator to really help connecting all these dots. And once you create this, this curated content, you need to always make sure it's up to date. So, like, let's say you have a course and it links out to this wiki page, mm-hmm. but that's out of date or that's no longer an active URL, then that looks bad, too. So you got to make sure that all that curated content is, is, is relevant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's easy to forget if you're moving at the speed of light. Got to, You've got to give yourself some time to clean up and to make sure that the content is there and updated and it's in good choice, good shape. It's harder than it looks. It's harder than we can make yeah, it up on a talk. <laughs>
0: yeah, one of, one of my colleagues says, every time you create a course, it's like having a baby that's forever in diapers that needs to be changed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I don't want to go there again, but you're right. It's true. We have to take care of our training content.
0: Yeah. And with the, in the, everyone's an author era, people love creating that first piece of content. They really, you know, somehow creating that first piece of content is sexy, but the updating is not sexy. Mm. So we need, you know, through, through content council, curators, customer education teams really managing the content and the updates.
1: It will change your life and it will help you get uh, a great retention and adoption and all that stuff. So Okay, let's wrap this up. And Donna, I'd like to give this time to you before I close uh, to, again, uh, how can we find you? How can we learn more about your company and the services that you provide?
0: Yeah, so if you go to springboardin.com, springboardin.com, or look Mm -hmm. me up on LinkedIn. I have lots of articles. I will put a few relevant blogs um, that I've written links here as well. And um, I'm Donna at springboardin.com. So reach out. I'd love to chat.
1: Fabulous. And I I highly recommend Donna. She's great to chat with. We've had awesome discussions, including this one. And to wrap this up, uh, once again, go check out Donna's website. Check out her blogs and articles. You can find her all over the place and speaking at Sedma this year. So yeah, hopefully
0: you'll be there and Adam will be there.
1: Totally. I'm trying to get around to all the conferences this year. Now, if you want to learn more about us, again, this is the customer education podcast. Our, our website, if you haven't gone there yet is just customer dot education, all one word education, easy to find. Then you'll find our podcast listed out there, plus any show notes that we have. For this one in particular, I will do my due diligence to put up links to find Donna and see some of her great articles and content so you can learn more there as well. And I'll try to put those uh, adjacent to iTunes and others. Now, if you've also, please, if you've found value in this podcast, uh, share with others share with your friends share with your peers share with your network we as you could tell with this podcast here we're thankful to have donna join us in an interview format if you'd like to talk and and share your interest and excitement and enthusiasm and passion about customer education we would very much like to talk with you and expose your unique thinking to our network because we're very collaborative and we all help want to help each other grow so with that, I am Dave Darrington, at Dave Darrington on the Twitter. Do you have Twitter accounts
0: well? I do, Donna Webb, at Donna Webb.
1: At Donna Webb, easy. And Adam didn't join us today, but he's at Avramescu. If you could say it, you can spell it, like he likes to say. Hi, Adam. <laughs> Hi, Adam, we miss you. To our audience, thanks for joining us. Go out, educate, experiment, scale your training, and find your people. Thanks everybody.
0: Thank you.